This is the Tech Arts Podcast, where we talk about tech, leadership, and all things that concern church audio, video, and lighting. Welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast and the Phone Live Streaming Studios. My name is DL. So glad to have you joining us today. Oh, boy, do we have a great podcast lined up for you today. World-renowned front of house engineer Ken Pooch Van Druten joins us to talk all things audio. Plus, we have not one church tech tip for you. We have two church tech tips for you. These tips are some conferences that are coming up this year, and they are definitely worth attending. But before we jump into that, let me take a moment to thank everyone who is listening and watching. This podcast is for you, and we very much appreciate the thousands of views you are giving us on YouTube and all the listens we are seeing on the podcast. If you are a regular listener to the Tech Arts Podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, and follow. It makes a big difference with the analytics and all the different things that the the different outlets use to determine how high up on the list we go. Plus, doing this ensures you will never miss a show and will always be informed of our free giveaways. Now, let's talk our two church tech tips. These two tips are the Wave Conference and the Capture Conference. Both of these are must-attend conferences. Today, we have a rep from each conference to talk a little bit about what they offer. Let's all welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, the organizer and founder of Wave, Ron Procopio. Hey, Ron. Hello, David. How are you? Ron, I'm doing great. Hey, I hear you have a ton of great stuff going on at the Wave Conference this year. And this is your third one, right? Yeah, this is our third one, believe it or not, um, in 18 months. It has been a, a, a quick, rapid uh, ascent as we've grown. Uh, we're going to be in Louisville September 12th to 14th, um, bringing together uh, worship uh, technicians, production managers, uh, worship leaders, executive pastors, and, and all of the teams, really. Um, for some education and, and some exhibits. So tell us just in a few seconds, why WAVE? Why should I come to WAVE? Yeah, I think ultimately it's it's about learning what is the, the latest technologies, uh, what are the ways in which we can grow um, our production, uh, our engagement. Um, I'm a big immersive fan of technology. That's been something I've worked on over the years. And so I believe that we can take uh, technology to improve upon and create um, a really exciting experience for people, the congregation to, to feel um, more than just uh, attend and, and be part of the church service and ultimately return. Yeah, I know a lot of manufacturers are going to be there, so people can kind of check those things out. And you have some speakers. What speakers do you have? Uh, today, we just added uh, Bill uh, Swearingen. Uh, you might know him from uh, the Church Tech Leaders. I do. Uh, uh, really great guy. He's going to be doing, um, we're actually doing three luncheon sessions, kind of lunch and learn. Um, he's going to be our third one doing uh, planning and budgeting for production improvements. Um, we have Jason Moore, uh, who's joining us as one of our general sessions. Uh, we've got Ben Stapley and Mark McDonald, the, you know, the, uh, the usual suspects you'd see there. Um, we've got Dennis Choi, who's joining us again this time around. Um, it's, it's a really star studded panel. Um, what's really cool is that we're bringing this to Louisville. Um, wave is bouncing around the country and that's, that's, that's intentional. We wanted to go to the different audiences and these people that you're, you're hearing, 
they're the, the big heavy hitters that you see at the national conferences that we're bringing to uh, the local regions. Well, you forgot one important speaker, and oh, that's yeah, me. I'm, I'm going to be there. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm excited to have you there. Yeah, man, I'm going to be there. I, I think my class is on what's the most important tech position. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, there's lots of great speakers there, manufacturers. If you want to upgrade your knowledge, be sure to sign up for WAVE. You go to wave-event.co. So, again, that's wave-event.co. Be sure to sign up today. Thanks, Ron, for coming on. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to seeing you. Joining us now is Brian Blackmore from Church Production Magazine. He is coming on to talk to us about the Capture Summit. Brian, welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast. David, thank you for having me. It's, It's great to be here. Man, I'm digging the Capture Summit's tagline, where creativity thrives, Christ shines. That's awesome, man. I love what that says and means. Can you tell us a little bit more about the vision of the Capture Summit? Yeah, absolutely. So it was originally called the Content Creation and Filmmaking Summit. That was seven years ago. So this is the seventh year for the event. And a couple of years ago, we changed it name to Capture Summit. But it's primarily about video production in churches. So um, the people that uh, come to chat, uh, come to capture are primarily uh, video production roles and creative, uh, creative and communications roles. And um, so COVID changed an awful lot in our world, uh, let alone how we do church. Um, so, so many churches jump-started how they, how they looked at video production, streaming, and really how it all fits together with their digital strategy, their, their social media presence, their, their web presence, and how they portray their church, um, you know, online. And so those are the things that we focus on at, at Capture. Yeah, video is such an important part of church now. I mean, it it tells a story, it tells a vision, it helps bring the audience in. Everybody lives on their devices. So film and video, it's it's just critical to what we do. And I think Capture Summit, from what I can see, uh, is, is helping to bridge that gap of churches who don't quite know what they're doing, churches who do want, know what they're doing, and churches who want to take it to the next level. Uh, there's a lot to learn from Capture. I noticed you have a lot of cool speakers. Who's speaking at Capture? Wow, we've got, um, we've got about 60 sessions. Um, some of the presenters are speaking on, on two or three. Um, we're bringing in Phil Cook. Many of you know Phil Cook from the Cook Media Group. He's a widely known consultant in the, in the church media world. Um, John Mark Caton is the senior pastor at Cottonwood Creek uh, Community Church there in Allen, Texas, our host church. Uh, boy, such a long list. Dennis Choi, Janet, uh, Justin Firesheets, um, just, just a long, long, long list. Uh, Chad Vegas from um, Transformation Church. Um, you can find the full list there at CaptureSummit.com. Again, it's about 60 sessions. It's a two-and-a-half-day event. Um, just, 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 just full of you know great information and and networking. We're we're taking a special emphasis this year on networking and community, and we've actually carved out a special location on the middle of the show floor. The, the show floor is where all the exhibitors and the vendors have their uh, their stands. But in the middle of the show floor, um, we're having a, a a location that we're calling Networking Central, where we're bringing in a bunch of the leaders of a bunch of major uh, church technology associations. Um, the Church Creatives Network, 
um, the Atlanta Church Creatives, uh, the Metro Media and Communications Association, uh, the North Texas Church Production Group, uh, the Church IT Network, and several others that are all coming together and to help uh, people who don't know about these associations to get to know you know, who they are and what they are, and also for the leaders of these organizations to get to know each other and, you know, maybe compound or magnify or amplify what they can do separately uh, if they join together and, and, you know, get to know each other and just amplify what they're doing for, uh, you know, using technology to spread the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, the Capture Summit is definitely something that people need to attend. It's August 7th through the 9th, in addition to the over 60 educational sessions that Brian mentioned. Attendees will also have an opportunity to see the latest gear and technology from nearly 30 exhibitors, including Canon, Nanlite, Sony, and many others. To get your tickets, you go to CaptureSummit.com. So that's Capture summit.com and if you're listening right now you can put in the special code get 40 and get a special discount there plus we are doing a free giveaway so i'm going to give away one free ticket to the capture summit and here's how you get it you email me at the longest email address known to mankind it's information at digitalgreatcommission.org so that's information at digitalgreatcommission.org. Email me there and say, hey, I want a free ticket to the Capture Summit. We're going to take the very first person to email me there, and we're going to give you a free ticket to the Capture Summit. So CaptureSummit.com, Dallas, Texas, August 7th through the 9th. Brian, thanks for coming on and telling us about it. Thanks, David. I look forward to seeing you at Capture. Coming up in our interview with world-renowned front of house engineer Ken Pooch Van Druten, we talk plugins, snapshots, the most important audio channel, what audio console he likes, and more. It's all coming up right after these messages from our sponsors. Our main sponsor is Digital Great Commission Ministries. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just better understanding the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Because they are a 501c3 donor-sponsored organization, they come to your church for free and do an assessment of your tech, visitor engagement, and online streaming. Plus, we give away free gear. Be sure to go to audiovideolighting.com and register your email today. This will sign you up for all of the free giveaways and give you first access to everything we offer for free. If you want free resources, training, or consulting, contact Digital Great Commission Ministries today by going to audiovideolighting.com. That's audiovideolighting.com. Our next guest is a tenured and acclaimed producer, recording engineer, and live sound mixer. His track record of recognition for flawless sound engineering started from Berklee College of Music, continuing on through three Grammy nominations and a history of platinum and gold records. He is the front of house live sound engineer behind Jay-Z, Travis Scott, Justin Bieber, Iron Maiden, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, Linkin Park, and many more. He holds over a dozen live sound engineering accolades, including a tech award, eight Tour Guide Magazine Engineer of the Year Awards, and a Parnelli Award. Please welcome to the Tech Arts Podcast, Ken Pooch Van Druten. Hey, Pooch. 
Hey, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on, man. I'm going to tell everybody the story about how uh, we met. Well, first, before I jump into that, it, tell us a little bit about your nickname, Pooch. I've always called you Pooch, but I've never asked you, where did that come from? Yeah, it actually came from the band Motley Crue. They're not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're still out there doing it. It's amazing. They, they, they'll never finish, I guess. I guess they're like Kiss. They just keep farewelling. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, uh, Vince Neal started calling me big dog because of the, my body size and, um, and big dog kind of just evolved into pooch. Um, I think it was, I, I think it was Nikki six that started calling me pooch really, but anyway, it, it just evolved into pooch. And then following Motley Crue, I did a Whitney Houston tour where I mixed her monitors and, um, she just loved that nickname. And so, uh, she, you know, it, it kind of just stuck in the industry, uh, and I just accepted it and said, okay, fine. Um, you know, so it, that's how it was given to me. Well, Pooch and I met, I don't know, I think it was 2011. I was working for a large church in the Dallas uh, area. I think there was like 20,000 people attending or something like that. And we admire systems and I knew Pooch at the time didn't, um, wasn't a big fan of the Meyer Milo or you, you're a fan of them now though, right? I'm a, I'm a super big fan of them actually. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. As, as PAs go, uh, Milo was not one of my favorite PAs. Um, but now I'm, I'm a super big fan. I love their, uh, well, Panther is now a really great box. Uh, but but I came to love them through the Leo Lion uh, Leopard uh, series. Well, what I what I was doing at that church was I wanted to critique our sound engineers and get better. And so I reached out to Pooch and said, "Hey, can you come in and critique our guys? I know you uh, didn't like the 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 Milo box, and so for me that was a positive because I wanted you to come in and see how our guys were making it sound and mix on the Milo box. And Pooch came in. He critiqued our guys, very easy to work with, um, was awesome, helped our guys step forward, really gave them some good pointers and helped us move forward. And so that's how we met. So part of what we were doing when I brought you in was kind of trying to figure out um, what the most important part of the mix is. And so when you came in and kind of talked to the guys coming from the same viewpoint that I did, I, I thought it was very interesting. So unpack that a little bit. What is the most important channel in the mix when you're mixing? Uh, well, of course, it's it's vocal. Um, you know, I I uh, I have to laugh when uh, I watch an engineer spend you know extended periods of time. I've watched an engineer spend thirty minutes on kick drum and snare drum, and I think that that's just ridiculous. You know, um, the your average concert goer or uh, church goer or or anyone doesn't care about the kick drum and snare drum, really, you know? I mean, yes, they're important, and yes, they create a vibe, and yes, they move low end, and it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all of those things. So I'm not saying that they're not important, but the most important thing is vocal. And, um, and not only uh, in, in a way of getting it to be louder than everything else, but, but the intelligibility of understanding exactly what that person is saying, not only while they're singing, but in between songs is very important as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll spend 
just because kick drum is your first input on your list and you're doing a line check doesn't mean that you have to start there. Um, you know, I, I'll start with vocal um, and get my PA uh, tuned and happy with the vocal first and then worry about other things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can't stress it enough. I think it's a, a common problem is that even though we all know that vocal is the most important thing in the mix, people don't give it the, the most attention that they should. You know, what's interesting about what you just said is it's not only the vocal, but it's also the vocal during the song but it's the vocal in between the songs. 100%. And I think whether it's a concert or whether it's a church service, I think that gets missed, especially by a lot of the young kids nowadays. You know, people come to hear, you said you worked with Whitney Houston. Uh, they came to hear Whitney Houston. 100%. They, they didn't come to hear just a kick <laughs> and a snare and, you yeah. know, or the, or the undermix of yeah. a recording track that's happening. And we shouldn't downplay the fact that the other things in the mix are important. They are. They're, they create impact. They create emotion. All of those kind of things. But, but um, you, know, you know where I learned this, actually, was uh, when I first started in my career. Um, I asked a bunch of friends that were not engineers and not musicians. Um, I invited them to a couple of shows that I was mixing. And then after the show, I asked them what they thought of the show and, and tell me a little bit about what you thought of the mix, what you think, you know, what was important and what isn't, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Every single one of those people that were not engineers and not musicians, I'm talking about like my best friend who's a lawyer, said, had comments about the vocal, had no comments about anything else. All their comments were, hey, I couldn't understand the vocal or you know, or, or, uh, the vocal, I thought the vocal was maybe too loud or, you know, whatever, whatever their comment was, it wasn't about the snare drum. Um, and so that really shaped, um, how I, you know, shaped my career. And really, you know, to this day, it's what I tell people all the time, uh, younger engineers, that's, that should be your focus. Get that vocal right. That's like you right. said, it doesn't discount the rest of the mix, but but get the vocal where you can hear it and it's clear and it's crisp and it's right there for everybody to understand and know what's going on, even when they're talking. Intelligibility right. is amazing. But we're, we talked about young um, mix engineers. And one thing that I see uh, a lot, and I, don't, I, don't, I want you to talk about this a little bit. I go in and I look at the console and I literally see a plug-in or multiple plugins on every single channel. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane to me it how is. plug-in crazy we've gone. Talk a little bit about plugins. I mean, obviously they're they're helpful. We need to use them. It's a piece of the mix, but talk a little bit about that, how you approach it. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with you. I, I've seen um I've seen younger engineers, you know, do that. Place, you know, way too many plugins and plugins on every single channel. Um, and what they're doing is putting a, a band-aid on a on a gushing wound, really. Um, and and the problem is, is because they're not using the fundamental parts of sound, uh, you know, that that you should. Uh, that you should be doing prior to even thinking about putting a plug-in on a channel. So, for instance, 
Mike Placement, you know, uh, Mike Choice, Mike Placement, um, uh, game structure, how the uh, microphone preamplifier uh, interacts with that microphone transducer. Those are all like really fundamental parts of being a mixer. And I feel like it's, it's easy to just place a plug in on something and try to fix what's broken. And usually what's broken is a microphone, a wrong choice of a microphone or uh, a microphone that's not placed correctly. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I um, have gone, you know, listened to something through the PA and said, you know what, this, the placement of this is not good. Walked up all the way up, up on the stage, moved a microphone literally half an inch and then walked back and it was fixed. I didn't need to put a plug in. I didn't need to put anything else on that simply by moving a microphone a half an inch. So the, the problem to me the, that these young engineers are, are they're, they're skipping the fundamental parts of this um, and, and not learning about microphones specifically and, and, and placement of those microphones and um, you know gain structure. Um, and unfortunately, it's kind of a lost art because everybody has like Pro Tools at home. So they just they start out as a guy who, you know, has a piece of computer software and they just do stuff. Um, and so the art of engineering is lost a little bit. So I encourage younger guys to try to at least, um, you know, watch some YouTubes or, or watch some um you know, uh, excellent engineers that practice their craft, try to get that part of the fundamental part of this right. Um, plugins are great. They're a great tool. I use them all the time. Um, I don't use them as much as I think people perceive that I do. Um, you know, it's like, because I have a relationship with Waves and do a lot of stuff, I get perceived as being the plugin guy, right? You'd be really surprised. I mean, I don't ever use 64 racks of super rack, even on a 120 input band. You know, on Jay-Z, uh, which was recently, I think, 132 inputs or something. Um, I think I was using 16 racks, maybe 18 racks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, plugins are cool, but it's like, don't use it to be the band-aid to cover the gushing wound, you know? Fix the the first part of this and then you won't have to use a plugin. Yeah, get the signal clean from A to B and then yep. use the plugin when it's necessary to either emphasize or as a tool or as an effect or whatever it may be. You know, <laughs> we're kind of dating ourselves here, but uh, we mixed in the day when there was no such thing as a plugin. That's right. Uh, it was outboard gear or nothing. And back in the analog console days, you had to you had to do exactly what you said. You had to have a clean chain all the way through and you had to get your mic placement right. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm training a new uh, a new sound engineer, especially a younger one uh, who's kind of into the all the plugins is I say, hey, you have to build a good mix for me without any plugins. Good for you. And once they figure that out, then we start adding plugins in. And what's amazing is how, how they use a lot less plugins 
once they've learned how to build the mix without plugins. Yeah. And kind of, you know, there's some pushback there and whatever. And I say, look, here's the deal. Um, your rack's going to fail. It's going to go down. What are you going to do? Yeah. You can't stop the show. You can't stop the service. You've got to figure out how to EQ it and make it work correctly without plugins. You know, the second thing that I think kind of gets some young engineers upside down is snapshots. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the two, you know, a plug-in on every single channel and then snapshots, like 25 snapshots of song. <laughs> 32, yeah, 32 like, snapshots for the verse. Yeah, like what is going <laughs> on here? So talk a little bit about snapshots. How do you use it? Where, where do you put it in practice? You know, and, and again, you know, we're talking about all this stuff. We're, we may, it may come across like we're slamming it, but really what we're saying is it, there's a time and a place for all of these tools Yes. Um, and that time and place will make your mix better. But if you just use it for the sake of using it, it could make your mix worse. And so we're not saying don't do plugins, don't do snapshots, but we are saying there's a time and a place for it that will help you. And there's a time and a place that will hurt you. So, so Pooch, talk a little bit about how you use snapshots. I think for, first of all, you're, I think you're speaking to a common problem, which is people mixing with their eyes and not their ears um, because so many tools are computers now and, and um, our lives are absorbed by, you know, a little pocket computer we carry around now, you know, um, that's, that's how we function in life normally, uh, regardless of mixing. So um, I think it's, it's part of the problem is, is that people get lost in mixers get lost in looking at gear and seeing what it's doing and not really paying attention and, and listening. Um, and, and so that leads into, you know, snapshot issues. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about snapshots. Snapshots are an unbelievable tool that have allowed me to create things um, that, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I, I couldn't do, you know, what I'm doing now. Um, literally, you know, for instance, a band like um, Iron Maiden, which has a 45-year history, their records all sound very different. In fact, there's some records that sound completely different than other records. When they play live, they put those songs next to each other and trying to um, navigate the making this sound like this record and making it sound like this record, um, those two songs, there's really no way I could do it without using snapshot technology because sometimes there's upwards of 300 parameter changes in between songs. You don't have 25 um, hands and, and, and 15 <laughs> yes. or, or so fingers? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, sometimes it's funny because I think about, you know, the days I was on an XL4, a Midas XL4 for years, for, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years maybe. Um, and I look back at that and I go, I don't know how I used to do it. Like, you know, what I look at what I can do now. Um, and, and I think, honestly, it's that I couldn't do what I can do now. Um, but don't get lost in it because the art of mixing is still mixing and it ebbs and flows and a guitar player plays 
louder in some section, uh, you know, every, every night or softer or whatever. All of these are mixing ebb and flows that if you treat that as a snapshot and say every single day, this guitar solo is here and boink, boink, boink on the, the, the snapshot thing. Um, it's not really mixing. It's, it's really kind of being like, well, I'm going to click the snapshot and then, you know, hopefully it'll be right. Some days it is and some days it isn't. Um, so I tend to use my, my goal is to get, is to use a single snapshot to establish the song. So in between songs, I'll, I'll establish a new mix, which is sometimes, like I said, 300 parameter changes of stuff. That establishes the song, and usually from that point forward, I do mixing. Um, the only time that I start adding snapshots in the middle of songs is if I can't possibly do uh, what's needed to, to make the section be right. Um, so there, there's sometimes where uh, a song may go from, you know, super loud, heavy metal stuff to a real quiet, you know, acoustic-y kind of section. Um, I, I probably would create a snapshot in that situation. Um, <clears throat> but generally, I think you get a better result by being a, a mixer. Um, and, and doing, um, manual things to compensate for what's happening either in the room or what's happening with, um, those musicians on that particular night. So that's, that's kind of my philosophy. Um, although what's interesting is that lately, uh, you know, I've been doing this heavy metal band, Iron Maiden, and, um, the way that that band really works is there's three guitar players and they're all in different parts of my mix. So they're all, you know, either far left or far right or center. Those are the three guys. So what happens when they solo, right? So the guy that's far left over here, you don't want him to have his solo in the far left side of the PA because the people over here in the right side are not getting that full impact of that solo. Um, so lately I've been creating snapshots that are guitar solo movement snapshots for his solo in the center. And then a snapshot when he's done, it, it slowly moves him back to where he was. So it, it's not abrupt. Um, the snapshot to the center is abrupt. When he starts playing a solo, you want it to go boom center. Here you go. Um, but it moves him slowly back to the left after a solo. Um, so I've been creating more snapshots than usual um, because of that. But in general, um, the philosophy that I have of less snapshots are better is, is pretty much it. What I hear you saying is uh, get the snapshot to get your mix kind of established. Yes. But use your console as an instrument, Use it as an instrument that you're going to mix on. I used, uh, you know, in the church world, we call it an instrument of worship. Yeah. But it is an instrument. I mean, it's nothing different from a keyboard or a guitar or whatever. You're just mixing all those sounds together. And when I hear your use of snapshots, even how you're saying, hey, I, you know, use it to snap them to the center or whatever, you're essentially using things to accentuate your instrument that you're mixing on. 
That's right. You're not mixing with your eyes, you know, you know, <laughs> you're mixing with your ears and you're allowing your ears to define what's going on that night. The crowd's a little bit louder, a little bit more into it, a little bit more guitar needs to be uh, come out in this moment. And so that's what I hear you saying. You're using it as an instrument uh, that you mix on. And I think that's what's key. And I think that's a lost art nowadays. I think a lot of people are mixing to their eyes, as you say. One of the things I, I like to do when training uh, sound guys is, you know, and we don't do this forever, but we'll say, hey, we're going to actually cover up all of your knobs. And so the only thing you have access to is your faders. Nice. Now, I don't recommend this all the time, and we normally only do it during rehearsals. But the problem that I, I noticed with some younger engineers is they're mixing with their head down into the console all the time. Yeah. And they're missing nuances like a, a vocalist who decides to talk in between a verse or whatever because they're not seeing that on the platform. That's Again, right. they're mixing with their eyes into the console and they're not seeing it um, from the platform. In the church world, it's a big deal when the artist is standing on the front of the platform and they look out at their sound engineer and he's nowhere, basically nowhere to be seen because his head is down. Right. Versus when his head is up and he's making eye contact and they're turning around saying, hey, we're going to go to a kick drum here. They see that and feel that and mix it as an instrument. And so that's a little kind of technique we do when we're training is just cover up the console where all they have access to is the faders. And, and it opens up that whole mixing with your ear thing. So it's just something that we do. But speaking of covering up the knobs, which we don't do during a normal service. I love it. <laughs> EQ. Talk a little bit about EQ, how you use it. Um, you know, when I get into EQ, I, I tend to mix with my ears as well. So I dig a lot more than people would expect. You know, they're, they're moving it, they're looking at the meter and they're turning it down a little bit and say, hey, that 3 dB change should make the difference. I tend to dig in or, you know, amplify it a little bit more than maybe I should, but I'm mixing with my ears. So I'm curious your approach to EQ. How do you use it? What's your purpose? Why EQ? You know, kind of give us some background on that. Um, first, let's start with um, just how much phase and latency EQ does to channels. I don't think people realize how much um, phase relationship between coherency between channels is changed by simply inserting an EQ and uh, you know, utilizing even just a small amount of it. Y you know, the big buzzword in digital consoles these days are, is, you know, how we have to line up all our channels. Latency is important and, you know, all these kind of things, which, which it is. But, but I don't think people th know that just adding analog EQ changes the phase coherency of the relationships of other channels. So let's just start with that conversation um, because if I don't have to use EQ, I don't like on purpose because to me, it's a tool just like anything else. Um, you'll probably, if you were to look across my channel um, uh, of, of my console, you would see high-pass filters and low-pass filters for sure on almost everything. Um, but EQ? Eh. And if I'm doing EQ, it's pretty drastic like you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm using it as a tool 
you know, like, uh, let's take kick drum, for example, you know, um, kick drums generally sound horrible at 400 hertz. So, you know, I cut the crap out of 400 hertz to make it less boxy, boost 60 to give it a little bit of oomph in the bottom, and then find wherever the click is. And that is, you know, plus six dB or more of information. And so if you look at that EQ, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's drastic. Um, and so, uh, EQ for me is a, is a tool that is just like plugins where I try not to use it, but if I do use it, it tends to be drastic. Yeah. And so one of my questions I was going to ask you is how do you make your snare drum sound amazing? I think I know the answer to this. Make the snare drum sound amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's it. But, you know, it's so funny about that. I'm, I, um, in the same breath that we had in that conversation about plugins, if that person who puts plugins on all their channels, the end result is good, who am I to say that they're doing it wrong? I, you know, I, I, I go back and forth with this all the time. I look at somebody's channels and I say, wow, that's a lot of processing and that's a lot of stuff happening and and whatever. But if what's coming out of the speakers is good, then I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's good. Good is good, you know, to me. So, um, it's better if you learn your fundamentals and you get it cleaner and, um, uh, I don't know what the right terms are, but, um, it's, it's better if you do it the simpler way and not use 100 million processing things. I guarantee it that if you can start doing that in your workflow, you will discover that you can get better results than what I'm talking about. But, hey, you know, everyone's got their own way. And who, who am I to say that it's wrong? I, well, you know, I, I don't know. I think you said it in the snapshot conversation. When we talked about snapshots, you use snapshots. Use probably a lot of snapshots. I do. Um, there's people out there that know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a while. They understand the fundamentals and they use a lot of plugins and it sounds great. It sounds fantastic. What we're really talking about here is if you're getting started mixing and you don't have a lot of background in mixing and you're jumping right into it, uh, maybe you've been mixing for a year or two, you're mixing for a church or for a local club or whatever. Go check out the fundamentals. There was a day before plugins, before snapshots, when we had to figure out how to get it right. And we still made, I would argue, some of those mixes sounded better than today's mixes. Agreed. Because of the Band-Aid conversation. And so what we're saying is, yeah, you know, if you get a great mix and it sounds awesome on plugins, we're not saying don't use plugins or don't use snapshots. There's a lot of people who use it and make it sound great. We're just saying the fundamentals can get you there first, and then you can take it to the next level with those tools. You know, I attribute my success to um, being able to watch some real artists. Like, I didn't make any of this up that I do every single day. Every single thing that I do every single day and succeed at is because I watched another engineer do it and learned from some of the best engineers out there. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you're a younger um, you know, engineer, like 
beg, borrow, and steal to hang out with whoever you think is a great engineer and steal their stuff. I'm telling you, every engineer, the best engineers in the world are willing to give it all up. Like here, take take this information, man. I'm, you know, I'm willing to tell you everything that I do. And the reason is, is because I didn't make it up. I learned it from Bruce Wedeen. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, a, it's a legacy of engineering artistry that I think is really, really important and, and should not be ignored by, by a younger uh, engineer. So if in your church, if you have you know, the head engineer or, or maybe not the head engineer, maybe an engineer that you just respect and go, man, every Sunday the, it sounds amazing, this guy or girl, I wanna follow around and make sure, like hound that person, ask them questions. Um, I guarantee you if they're any, any worth or salt, they will share every single detail and information that they have. Um, and that's how you learn. It is how you learn. Plus, I like to say, get outside of the Christian community. Um, don't stay inside the bubble of churches, the Hillsong, Bethel, whatever. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Those guys no. know what they're doing. But get outside the Christian community. See what other uh, secular artists are doing and how they're doing it. The secular world tends to be about seven or eight years in front of the Christian community. Some say that's a good thing. Some say that's a bad thing. But my point to that is, if you get outside the Christian mix engineer community and you start talking to some of secular engineers that are out there, or even engineers that mix both in the Christian and secular world, they will start to give you some tips and tools that you just don't experience in a church service on Sunday every single weekend. One tool that uh, I was given, one tip that I was given, I used to mix my bass guitar like really fat, sounded awesome. I would solo it and it just sounded really good. But in the mix, everything just always seemed muddy. And so I talked to, uh, uh, you know, I'd been in the Christian community most of my life. And I, I can't remember his name, but I talked to somebody in the secular community that was mixing just uh, at, a, at a local bar. And he said, hey, it is very important that I mix my bass guitar so it fits with my kick drum. So when he soloed his bass, it's, it sounded bad. <laughs> like it was really thin, didn't sound correct to me. But when he put it with the kick drum, it sounded sweet in the That's full it. mix of things. And I think I was like 17 or 18, something like that. I wasn't supposed to be in a bar, but I was. And, <laughs> and uh, it, when he went over that with me, it just, it revolutionized. It kind of changed how I thought about how instruments work together with each other. Yes. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Talk about how putting everything together is more important than each individual instrument. That's, that's really great. Uh, you know, I say the same thing all the time. If you were to um, go through a virtual playback of my mixes and solo up individual things, you would be like, wow, that's pretty crappy sounding, you know, or, or whatever. And the reason is, is that I'm making compromises to fit other things in the frequency spectrum. You know, there's a lot going on when you're talking about trying to make a bunch of inputs all work together. Um, and especially when we were talking about bass guitar, you know, that range from 80 hertz to like 250 is the hardest part of mixing, in my opinion. Getting that part right in a, in a large scale line array PA 
is the most difficult part of what I do. And trying to make things be intelligible and things you can pick out in that particular frequency range is, is tough. It's tough. It's really hard. Um, the way that I think about it is this. Nothing gets to share the same frequency space or stereo space or depth space. There's three things. So stereo, depth, and frequency space. Those are the three things that are going on in my head as I create a mix. So in other words, if the focus of a kick drum, the center frequency of a kick drum is 60 hertz, nothing else gets to get 60 hertz. Nothing else gets to be prominently addressed at 60 hertz. So I actually move, like maybe the bass guitar is, its center is also 60, but on purpose with EQ, I move the center of that bass guitar to 80 so that it is not sharing the same frequency space. And then thinking about the same process, I never ever put, if something is at 10 o'clock, say a guitar is at 10 o'clock, there's nothing else gets 10 o'clock. Other things get 10, 15, 10, 30, but they don't ever get 10. And so in my own brain, there's this width, right? So you're deciding where things can go in the stereo width but you're also deciding frequency center-wise what gets to be the star. So, for instance, um, you know, snare drum, I love big fat snare drums and I love like 100 or 125 in the bottom of a snare drum. I love that, but that's also where a lot of things exist, you know? It, it, it's the, you know, the middle of a bass guitar, it's the bottom of regular guitars, it's maybe even some vocals sometimes, you know? So juggling that is, is a little bit hard, but oftentimes I say, nope, snare drum gets that 125 because that is the big, thick, great sounding snare drum that I want. So now I'm gonna shift other things to be higher. So I'll high pass my guitars so they're a little bit higher than in a, above that 125 range. Um, and so, the third concept is depth, and that's a little bit, it's a little bit more advanced, um, but thinking about putting things using artificial reverb and effects to place things further away from you or nearer to you um, is, I think about that in the same way that I'm thinking about the frequency and the stereo width. So. Um, uh, you know, if vocal, if you want vocal right up front in your face, nothing else gets to be there. Everything else has to be behind it, um, you know, and surrounding it. Um, and, and so that includes, you know, pre-delay and, and length of reverbs on certain things to make them feel like they're further away. Um, it's, it's a, it's a little bit more of a difficult concept and it's something that I later on in my career, like kind of one day I went, aha, okay, I understand it. Um, but, but I just wanted to share with you, those are my three things that's really going through my head the entire time that I'm creating a mix. Um, it's, it's all about not sharing the same space. Yeah, that's awesome. So 
what console do you prefer to to accomplish those three things on? Our interview with Ken Pooch Van Druten continues on the next Tech Arts podcast. In part two, we talk about what audio console he prefers, what PA he likes, and more. You don't want to miss it. Well, that wraps up things for today's episode. I can't wait to talk to you on the next Tech Arts Podcast. Until then, I'm David Leuschner signing off by wishing you a great day and praying God blesses every moment of your week. See you soon. You have been listening to the Tech Arts Podcast presented by Digital Great Commission Ministries. DGCM is a 501c3 nonprofit that was started to help churches with all things technical. Whether you need help building a team, finding the right gear, or just a better understanding of the church tech world, DGCM is here for you. Find out more about our free on-site visits, reports, and consulting by going to audiovideolighting.com. Digital Great Commission Ministries will help you run your church service like a pro. Find out more at audiovideolighting.com.